Now, I want you to think about something as I begin my message today. I want you to picture the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as albums filled with snapshots of Jesus' life and ministry. These snapshots are, are varied and they're wonderful. They give us a picture of the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And I want you to imagine today that you had the opportunity to choose through all of those four gospel albums and you could choose the pictures that you wanted to put in your personal album of the life and ministry of Jesus. Which ones would you choose? I'm sure that everyone in here would begin with the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. And you would pick out a picture of baby Jesus with Mary and Joseph and the animals there in the stable. That'd be a great picture to start your album with. And then maybe you would pick out the the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus took a few loaves and fish and he multiplied it and prayed over it and he fed 5,000 men, not including women and children. And maybe you would pick a Uh, a, a, a picture of Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, a storm-tossed Sea of Galilee. And Jesus stands up at a very dangerous moment and he commands the sea, be hush, hush, be still. And it was. Or, or maybe you would pick out the picture of Jesus encountering a leper, an untouchable. And Jesus touches him And he heals him and sets him free from leprosy that had plagued him for years and years and years. Or, or maybe you would include in your album a picture of Lazarus' tomb. And Lazarus coming out of the tomb when Jesus said for him to come forth. Or maybe you would pick a, a picture of Jesus uh, speaking to the woman caught in adultery. The religious people were ready to stone her to death, but Jesus just drew in the dirt and, and he said, woman, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. What a picture that would be. But you know what? We would really be missing something in our albums that we, where we're choosing the, the pictures and depictions of Jesus in the gospels. We'd be missing something if we did not include the cross, Right? And so you pick out the, the picture of the cross there in the four Gospels and you put it in your album and you begin to study it and you begin to mull over it and it's almost like it has a life of its own and you begin to see his body ripped to shreds. You see spikes piercing his hands and his feet. You see a, a crown of thorns puncturing his brow his blood forming puddles in the dust beneath the cross, his face bruised and battered, religious leaders there around the cross mocking him and jeering at him. And maybe you even see that only one disciple is there, John the apostle, only one. The rest of them are absent. Listen, if you, if you look at that picture very carefully, you can almost hear Jesus speaking in a very powerful, victorious way from the cross. It is finished. Do you know what that means? It means paid in full. 
It means at that very moment, Jesus had completed the mission that God the Father had given him to do. He had offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for our sins. And he finished what God had given him to do. Then and only then did Jesus offer up his spirit to God. You see, Jesus was in control of every facet of his life. Even his death, Jesus decided the exact moment he would die, and he gave up his spirit to the Father. Now, look, we got to understand that there's another snapshot we need to add to our album. We can't leave this snapshot out. It's a snapshot of four people, four people, Mary Magdalene, Peter, John, and the fourth one is Jesus. Now, we know that Jesus was buried after he died on the cross, and he's supposedly in a tomb, and he's been there for three days. And the Bible says that Jesus rose from the dead. So we're going to include Jesus in our album, and we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus today. So I want you to take your Bible and turn to John chapter 20 and just follow along as this story begins to take shape. In John chapter 20, verse 1, the Bible says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. The Sabbath was over. Now it was early on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, Somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., which is the fourth watch of the night. And some women came to the tomb to finish the preparations for Jesus' burial. Now, John, who, cho- who wrote this gospel, who, who designed his album, chose to focus on one of those ladies. Her name was Mary Magdalene. Luke's gospel tells us that at one time she was a troubled and twisted young lady. In fact, Luke's gospel tells us that that Jesus uh, cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. Seven demons. And I'll tell you, he changed her life forever. And she became a devoted follower of Jesus. And the Bible says that she even supported Jesus financially in his ministry. Now, here she is early in the morning at the tomb of Jesus. And she notices that that gigantic stone that had sealed the tomb had been rolled away. And it troubled her. I'll tell you, her first reaction was that grave robbers had had gone into the tomb. They had taken what valuables there were in the tomb, and they had even taken the body of Jesus away. Verse 2 tells us, so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, if you study the gospel of John, you know that's John the apostle. And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. She instantly noticed that the, 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 the way into the tomb was wide open. Now, she didn't think for a moment that Jesus had been raised from the dead. That didn't even enter her mind. In fact, she, she, she was certain that somebody had taken his body. And it was a tragedy to her because she loved Jesus. 
She was devoted to Jesus. And listen, the Bible says in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, that Jesus had warned his disciples over and over again numerous times that he would go to Jerusalem, he would be killed, and he would be raised from the dead on the third day. The third day. In fact, in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, Mark gives us a depiction of this. He says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Here's my question. Why didn't the disciples believe Jesus? Why didn't they get up early in the morning? Why did they beat the women to the tomb expecting to find an empty tomb? Why didn't they? Had Jesus ever said anything in his entire ministry, in their entire time with him, that did not come true? I'll tell you, everything Jesus said was truth without mixture of error. And yet, for some reason, the disciples could not conceive of the idea that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had been resurrected from the dead bodily. Look at verses 3 through 5. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. It's almost like John has a little bragging rights here. He, it's almost like he's saying, hey, I, I want everybody in the world to know when they read my gospel that I was faster than Peter. So he got there first. And the Bible says, verse 5, and stooping and looking in, he saw. Now, I want you to underline that word saw, S-A-W. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Now, in, in this account, uh, the Bible, John uses three different Greek words for the word saw. It's not like our English language. Our English language does not give us that opportunity, but the Greek language gives some specificity to things. And, and this word saw in verse 5 refers simply to a glance. So John the apostle got there first. He outran Peter. And, and when he got to the tomb, he glanced in. He just observed what was in the tomb, but he did not go in the tomb. Now look in verse 6. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw, there's a second use of the word saw, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So when Peter got there, he brushed right past John the Apostle, he forced his way into the tomb, and he began looking around. And that word saw there in this verse refers to um, looking carefully, it's observing, it's pondering. And that's exactly what he began to do. You see, here's what he saw. He saw that the linen wrappings that had, had, had wrapped the body of Jesus had, had basically just maintained their shape. It was almost like Jesus passed through the linen wrappings. It's almost like a, a, a butterfly. When a butterfly breaks through the cocoon, it leaves the cocoon, and here's the butterfly flying around with total freedom. And that's exactly 
what it appeared had happened in the tomb of Jesus. But not only the linen wrappings, he also saw the face cloth which wrapped the face of Jesus rolled up neatly in a separate place. And he began to ponder. And he began to ask himself, how could this be? How could it be? But he did not yet believe that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. Now, I want you to look at verse 8. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb, there's, there, there's John getting his little dig in to Peter. I got there first. I want everybody to know I got there first. He also entered. So, so he, he mustered up the courage to go into the tomb himself. And he saw, and, but this word, use of the word saw means to perceive with intelligence. So he saw the same thing Peter saw. He saw the linen wrappings lying there on the, on the shelf where Jesus' body had been. It was as if they were still, had their shape and everything, and Jesus had merely passed through the linen wrappings. And he too saw the face cloth rolled up neatly in another place. But the Bible says that he saw, he perceived, and he believed. You know what he believed? He believed that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had been resurrected from the dead. And he believed it before he ever saw him. As far as I know, he's the first disciple who believed in the resurrection of Jesus without actually seeing the resurrected Christ. Now look at verses 9 and 10. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So this is referring to Old Testament prophecy. There, there are multiple Old Testament prophecies that prophesy about the, the crucifixion of Jesus, uh, about the atoning death of Jesus on the cross for our sins, uh, about the fact that, that Jesus suffered mightily on our account. But there are also Old Testament scriptures that prophesy about his resurrection from the dead. For instance, a thousand years before Jesus was incarnated into the human race, David, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this verse as if Jesus is literally speaking through his quill. In Psalm 16:10, David wrote, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or death, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Wow, what a prophecy! The prophecy of the resurrection of Jesus. There's another prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. Same prophecy. Now look at verse 11 and 12. Let's look at 10 first. So the disciples went away again to their homes. Now I wish we would have been privy to their conversation. You, you got Peter walking with, with uh, John and, and Peter has seen the same stuff John saw, but, but he didn't perceive, he didn't believe yet. He didn't believe in the resurrection yet. And here's John, he saw it and he believed. And he believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Can you imagine their conversation? I, I mean, here's, here's Peter saying to John, John, you've lost your mind. Do you really believe that our Lord, our master 
has been resurrected bodily from the dead. Now, see, they believed in a resurrection at the end of the age, but they had, didn't have a concept of an immediate resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then here's John saying to Peter, Peter, you're the hardest-headed fellow I've ever met. You saw what I saw. How do you explain it? Peter, I believe that Jesus is alive. I haven't seen him yet, but I believe from the top of my head to the tips of my toe that Jesus is alive. And then we pick up in verses 11 and 12. But Mary, Mary Magdalene, was standing outside the tomb weeping. That word weeping means wailing. I mean, she just wasn't crying a few tears. She was shedding rivers of tears. She was sobbing outside of the tomb of Jesus. Why, you say? Because she loved Jesus. She had devoted her life to Jesus. She believed in him. She had committed herself to him. And now he was gone. And she was absolutely beside herself with grief and sorrow. Verse 12, and she saw two angels. So she glanced in the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. I tell you, it's almost like a picture of the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. You have two cherubim on each end of the mercy seat, and you have the blood of atonement being presented on the, the mercy seat to cover the sins of the people of Israel. And it's almost the same picture, but it's real and genuine and authentic. And those two angels were there. Now, we shouldn't be surprised at the appearance of angels because one of the major duties of these ministering spirits is to appear at crucial times and places to announce God's plan for individuals and God's plan for groups of people. In verse 13, the angel said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Now that is a gentle rebuke because they knew what was going on. She didn't at the time. See, she didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus yet. Woman, why are you weeping? In, in essence, what they're saying, you should rejoicing. Why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Oh, their question really must have zinged her for just a moment. Now, they knew exactly what was going on, and they knew that Jesus was right behind her. Look at the next verse, verse 14. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. She was sure he was dead, and she assumed that this man was the gardener, and he was responsible for the garden tomb, and maybe he removed Jesus' body somewhere else, and she just wanted to get her hands on Jesus' body and to take care of his body and make sure that he got the pro proper burial. But you know, we shouldn't be surprised by this either. Because Jesus, in his resurrected body, had the ability to cloak himself and not reveal himself to the people that he met. You remember, 
In Luke 24, we're told about the two disciples who left Jerusalem after the crucifixion of Jesus, and they were walking to Emmaus. And Jesus met them after he was resurrected. He began to talk to them, and he even went in and had a meal with them. And it wasn't until Jesus chose to do it that he revealed himself to them for the Jesus that he was. He revealed that he had been resurrected from the dead. Look at verse 16. The Bible said, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher, teacher. With a single word, Jesus opened the eyes of Mary. Maybe she remembered the words of her master when he taught in John 10, verse 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Wow. And she heard him say, Mary. And instantaneously, she knew it was Jesus. She knew that she didn't have to worry about someone stealing his body She didn't have to worry about where he was at that time. She knew that he had been resurrected from the dead. And in a flash, all of her doubt, confusion, fear, and sorrow were swept away in absolute euphoria. Jesus was alive. Look at verse 17. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Can't can't you imagine that Mary Magdalene was overcome with profound sense of relief and joy? And you know what? When she discovered that Jesus was alive, she fell at his feet and she wrapped her arms around his feet and she held on for dear life. She didn't want to lose him again. But Jesus said to her, Mary... Mary, quit clinging to me. You you see, Jesus had other responsibilities. Jesus would never have a face-to-face relationship with these disciples like Mary and John and Peter again because he was about to ascend to heaven. But he promised them, when I ascend to heaven, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And the Holy Spirit will indwell you and empower you. And you'll be able to do things for me that you would have never been able to do without the Spirit's ministry. Stop clinging to me. And then Jesus said to her, hey, Mary, I don't want you to sit on this good news. I want you to go to my brethren. I want you to go to the disciples. I want you to gather them together. And I want you to tell them this wonderful news that I'm alive and tell them what I have told you. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Now, understand this. Mary Magdalene was the first person on this planet to see the resurrected Jesus. The first one. And she went to these disciples. I don't think she had to convince John because John knew it in his heart. He hadn't seen Jesus yet, but he knew in his heart that he had been resurrected from the dead. But she had to do a a, a real sale job on the rest of these guys because they had a hard time believing that he could be resurrected from the dead. I've seen 
the Lord. I, I tell you, no collection of snapshots of the life and ministry of Jesus will be complete without the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. W. Sankster was a famous British preacher. In the mid-1950s, he began to lose his voice and his mobility because of some kind of muscular atrophy that set in as a disease. So he threw himself into writing and praying. Eventually, his voice completely failed, and he totally lost his mobility. And one Easter morning, just before he, would to die, he was to die, his last Easter on this planet, he picked up a pen, and with shaky hands, he wrote a little cryptic note to his daughter, and here's what he wrote. It is terrible to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice to shout, he is risen. But it would still be more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. Hey, I heard about a five-year-old boy who went to an Easter pageant at his church. And I tell you, this little boy was mesmerized. He was sitting with his mom and dad. He was mesmerized as the life and ministry of Jesus was played out before them on the stage of the church. When they got to the crucifixion part of the story of Jesus, the little boy did not move a muscle. He was unbelievably quiet. And then... When they showed Jesus rising from the dead, this little boy's eyes lit up. He began to clap his hands. He hugged his mom, and he said out loud, he's alive. He's alive. God forbid that any born-again believer within the sound of my voice, any born-again believer somewhere scattered across this planet today would ever approach Easter Sunday with a whole hum nonchalant attitude. We've got to capture the joy, the excitement, the thrill that motivated Mary Magdalene and John and Peter and those early disciples. They understood the significance of the resurrection of Jesus. Do you? I mean, we're not here today to just check off a box. Hey, I put on nice clothes and I came to Easter, Easter Sunday worship at Carville First Baptist Church. It's not, it's not some kind of religious test. I mean, we're here today to celebrate the fact that the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the King of kings and the Lord of lords died on a cross for our sins and was raised from the dead bodily and he's in heaven today and he's coming back again one day. We ought to celebrate that. It ought to make a difference in, in how we think, what we say, and what we do. Give him glory. Amen. So what does it mean? I want to drop four thoughts in your heart. Why the resurrection of Jesus is so significant. Number one, because Jesus was raised from the dead, number one, you can know Jesus. You can know him. Paul, who later had an encounter with the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus and became a convert. He believed in Jesus. He became a disciple. He became an apostle, and he carried the gospel all over the world. 
And Paul wrote these words in Romans chapter 1, verse 4. He said, speaking of Jesus, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. When God the Father raised his Son from the dead, he validated everything he said and everything he did in his entire life. This included accepting his atoning sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for our sins. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the one and only Savior for the entire world. There's not multiple saviors. There's not multiple ways to go to heaven. There's not multiple ways for God to forgive you. There's only one way that God will ever forgive you. That is through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You can know the truth about Jesus. You don't have to live your life in the dark. You don't have to depend upon liberals who who tell you all kind of foolishness about Jesus. You can know Jesus by knowing his word and by knowing that he's alive. He is resurrected from the dead, and he's given you the Holy Spirit so you can know him super well. So you can know Jesus. Number two, you can be saved. Do you realize that the Bible says that every person on this planet is a sinner? Every person on this planet is a sinner. And our sin separates us from God. And the Bible says if our sin is not dealt with, if it's not forgiven, then we will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But if we do have our sin forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ, we can go to heaven when we die. What an amazing truth that is. You can be saved. Paul also wrote in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. I had a young man come to me one day. He said, Pastor, I believe that Jesus was a great man. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. But he said, Pastor, I can never believe in the resurrection. He said, can I go to heaven when I die? And I said, no, you can't. I say, you don't have to take my word for it. It's right here in the scripture. Let let me read it again. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, if you don't believe that he was resurrected from the dead, that means that you're not saved, right? That means you won't go to heaven. Now, that's plain as a nose on the end of your face. We've all sinned against God. That puts us in a precarious position with our creator. Only the resurrected Christ can forgive your sins and give you his own perfect righteousness so that you can go to heaven when you die. I want to ask you a question. If you've never believed in him, if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, are you ready to trust him as your Lord and Savior today? Are you ready to believe in him? Do you believe that he's the son of God? Do you believe that he died on a cross for your sin and paid your penalty? Do you believe that he was resurrected from the dead? If so, you can be saved today. You you can have your whole life transformed by the power of Jesus' salvation. I hope and pray today 
that in just a few moments you will come to one of our staff members and you will say to them today, I want to be saved. I believe in Jesus. I believe everything the scripture says about him. And then here's a third thing that, that is an absolute amazing uh, implication of, of the resurrection of Jesus. Not only you can know Jesus, number two, you can be saved, but number three, you can be changed. You can be changed. Are you battling an addiction? Are you struggling with an anger issue? Are you struggling with greed? Do you, do you uh, torpedo all your relationships because of your character and your attitude? I tell you on the authority of God's word that through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, he can change you. He can give you victory just like that. The Bible says in Romans 6, 3 through 4, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, listen, so we too might walk in newness of life. I'm telling you, Jesus can change you. That resurrection power that lifted him out of the grave, that gave life to him, is available. It's at his disposal, and he can apply it to your life and change you and transform you in a heartbeat. That's the power of Jesus. But here's a, a final implication I want to share with you. You can have hope. You can, have, you can know Jesus. You can be saved. You can be changed. And number four, you can have hope. Many of you are living in despair this morning. The whole world seems to be spiraling out of control. A vicious war in Ukraine threatens world peace. We constantly hear uh, that, that maybe Putin will use a nuclear weapon. We, we constantly hear about the, the brutality of the Russians against the Ukrainians. And I'll tell you, it, 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 it causes us to be uneasy, does it not? Right here today, family values are being destroyed before our very eyes. Relationships are being ripped to shreds. Dreams are dying. I want you to hear the word of Peter. Now, I imagine that Peter had this snapshot of Jesus at the cross and snapshot of Jesus at the resurrection in the center of his mind. He never could forget it. And he wrote these words later on. He said in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. You hear that? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The resurrected Christ offers hope to every man, woman, boy, and girl who will believe in him and trust him as their personal Lord and Savior. And he can, he can give you that hope, not based upon some dream that you might have, but based upon his resurrection from the dead. I challenge you today. I challenge you today as you assemble your album 
picking from the various pictures of Jesus through the Gospels that you will make sure that as a result of thumbing through your album and seeing these beautiful depictions of Jesus, that you will love him with all of your heart, that you will believe that he died on a cross for your sins, that he was raised from the dead for your justification, that you will trust him, that you will believe in him, that you will obey him, that you will love him more than anybody or anything on this planet. God forbid that we be nonchalant with the massive truth of the resurrection of Jesus. He is your only true hope. Listen, your hope is not based upon politics. Your hope's not based upon your ability to make money. The only hope that will transcend this world, the only hope that be good for this world and the next world, is the hope that is centered and anchored in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And I hope and pray, I hope and pray that you will give him your heart and soul today. Will you bow your heads for just a moment? I'm going to ask our staff to come, our worship team to come. In just a moment, we're going to sing. And I'm going to invite you in just a moment to stand up and worship Jesus, the resurrected Lord. I'm going to encourage you, if you're a born-again believer in this room, if you've really been saved, and you've allowed the, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus to become sort of nonchalant in your mind and heart, I'm going to encourage you to come to the altar and just bow before him. I want to encourage you, if you're a born-again believer and you're struggling with issues in your life, that you would bow before Jesus and you would ask him to give you victory to apply his resurrection power to your problem and to set you free. He'll do it. He'll do it. And if you want to be saved, if you want to give your heart to Jesus, come to one of our staff members. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you're alive. We thank you that we're worshiping a living Savior this day, this Easter Sunday. And I pray, Lord, that you would move with supernatural power in our midst and that you would do an incredible work in our lives. In Jesus' name, 